explosion of data available to virtually everyone highlights the need for tools to explore and understand it. Data analysis tools range from programming languages such as Python, C, and Java to commercial software such as SPSS or SAS. A relatively new tool is the open source software platform R. Developers can create R packages dealing with everything from basic analysis to complicated data visualizations. R is 25 years old this year and is the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's departments of statistics and media, journalism, and film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me in the studio, as always, is our regular panelist, John Baylor, chair of Miami's statistics department. Richard Campbell is away today. Our guest is Hadley Wickham. Wickham is chief scientist at our studio, as well as an adjunct professor of statistics at the University of Auckland, Stanford University, and Rice University. He's also a bit of a rock star in the R world. Nerd famous for R programs he's developed. Thank you so much for being here today, Hadley. Thanks for having me. I've heard R described as a programming language or as an environment. So when you are explaining what R is to people who maybe have no concept of it, how do you explain R? To me, R is kind of like a tool for like expressing your thoughts. Like, like to me, it's the kind of the, the, the language side. Mm. of uh, the programming language that, that I that I think is kind of most interesting, that, that that it gives you this this language, this tool to kind of get your thoughts about how to tackle a tech or data, data analysis problem out of your head and into the computer. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you, you've got to have, the computer has to do it for you these days. You can't, you can't do statistics with pencil and paper anymore. So how can you, like, describe to the computer what you want to do and how can you have that, the computer go away and do it as efficiently as possible? Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the idea of tackling a data analysis problem. You know, just for the, the folks that are listening in, how, how would you describe some of the phases or, or, or components of a data analysis problem? So I think kind of the, the overarching goal is to, to take some raw data and to turn it into something useful, like maybe that's an insight or some knowledge or some, like, action that allows you to, like, make the world a, a better place in some small way. So that's kind of the overarching goal um, I often talk about, I think, like seven stages of a data analysis. So you first import your data, you get it from whatever crazy formats in, into <laughs> R or Python or whatever your data analysis environment is. Then you'll do some tidying to get it into a structure that makes the rest of your analysis easier. And then you'll do some data transformation, which is things like computing summaries, like means, or even really simple things like counts. And then you sort of go into what I think of the two main engines of, of knowledge generation, which are visualizations and modeling. So visualization is kind of a fundamentally human activity. Modeling is sort of a fundamentally computational mathematical activity. And together they give you these really powerful tools for, to understand what's going on in, in a data set. So you're often going to iterate through those a few times. It's, uh, and then at some point you'll decide, well, I, I've kind of like, I've, I've wrung out some insights from this data. Hopefully it's not you've tortured the data until it's best. <laughs> you've, you've found some real insights and then you go on to what's often like the hardest part of the, the process, the communication process, where you've got to take that like mental model you've built up as like a data scientist, as a statistician, an expert, and then convey that, explain that to people who, you know, who are probably very familiar with the domain, but are probably not so familiar with the, the precise techniques you've used. 
I was reading that the packages that you've developed have sort of earned this moniker of the tidyverse. Could you sort of explain how that's come about? This is, I think it's a really interesting phenomenon. So the, the tidyverse as a, as sort of a, a thing has only been around for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. And, and previously people kind of called my body of work the Hadleyverse, which I just cannot like, <laughs> bear to talk about because like, it just sounds so like overweeningly arrogant. Um, and so that kind of like this, like that, just that, that visceral dislike of that term, the Hadleyverse, sort of prevented me from like thinking about like the collection of my work. Mm-hmm. So a couple of years, I could sort of ago, I sat down and decided like we have to come up with like a name for this so we can like talk about it and think about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to recognize that it's not just the, it's not just me, that there's now like a, 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 a team of people working on this at our studio and then hundreds of collaborators and contributors in the art community as a whole. And, you know, we, 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 it took a surprising amount of time but to come up with a tidyverse, which I think seems obvious in retrospect now because uh, some of my earlier work was around this idea of tidying data. Mm-hmm. What motivated you to develop a set of connected tools that, that have been part of this under this umbrella of tidyverse? That's a good question. <laughs> I, I don't know, like some of it is like just this sort of weird, like, no, this like weird dislike for things that don't like snap together kind of nicely. I mean, the, the goal of the individual packages before I was sort of thinking about this, this, them as a whole was to like, how can we like teach data analysis? Like how I can, I've been pretty good at data analysis for like a long time now. And I could like look at a data set and say, oh, you need to do like X, Y, and Z to it. Mm-hmm. But like, how could I explain those ideas to other people and then give them the tools to express those more easily? And so, so the kind of the individual packages, like, solved little bits of the problem, like thinking about how do you do that for visualization or data manipulation or strings or date times. But I never sort of really thought about, like, them as a whole, like, how do all of these pieces fit together? Like, what are the underlying ideas, the underlying philosophy that, 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 that help all these pieces fit together so naturally? As, as you reflect on kind of your practice of, of statistics, I mean, we've, we've talked about, you know, the R system hitting its, its 25th birthday. Um, how, how have you seen data analysis change over time as you've practiced it? I, I, I think the, I don't know, in, in some ways I think the biggest, the biggest change is like it's become like, sexy (laughs) you know like you know when i when i majored i majored in statistics and computer science you know uh i don't know 15 years ago or something now i was an undergrad you know in that time that was for like the nerdiest of nerds basically (laughs) but but now and you know only people the only people who like majored in statistics were people who for like whatever unknown reason had some like passion for statistics from from high school but now it's just become like, you know, it's so exciting and so many people are kind of understanding like why it's such a, you know, why being able to work with data is such a powerful tool. I, I think that's just like so exciting. It, it's moved from this kind of just experts being able to do it, having to have like a PhD in statistics to like anyone doing it. And I just, I just you know, I love that. Like people in high schools learning R, learning data science, you know, people in the humanities, journalists, that's just so, that's so fantastically exciting to me. 
You're listening to Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. The topic today is programming language R. Our guest is Hadley Wickham, who is chief scientist at our studio. You mentioned the fact that a lot of different people are using R these days. How are journalists using it? I think um, I think I see journalists using it in kind of two ways. I think like using R is just this powerful, powerful tool for investigative journalism, mm-hmm. and and there are a few a few places, and, and ProPublica is, is one that I've worked with who, who are you know really sophist- using really sophisticated. Uh, doing a lot of FOIA requests, mm-hmm. like thinking about how they can really tackle these big, important stories and use data to get at the heart of what's going on. And I think that's, you know, I think that that's, that's, that's really exciting and awesome. And then we're also seeing like, you know, newsrooms kind of picking it up for smaller stories, using it for like, you know, smaller local investigations, um, doing a little bit of exploratory visualization, figuring out what's going on in their, their communities as well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as Rosemary's mentioned a couple of times, that you you serve now in a role of chief data scientist at at uh, at our studio. Uh, how do you define data science? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of like the sort of broad idea that it's like turning you know data into inside of turning data into knowledge. I think. I'm I'm pretty happy with like a, I like sort of a broad inclusive definition. The the one thing that I, I I do believe in pretty strongly though that that to be like a data scientist or to do data science as opposed to like doing data analysis, you have to be programming. Mm-hmm. You, you can't be kind of be pointing and clicking. You, you've got to be writing code in a programming language. And you know that that's not to say like you know there's lots of stuff you can do in tools like Excel and Tableau, and you can do fantastic analyses. It's not to like um, to, to put down the, the people using those tools in any way whatsoever. But I just think that to me is like one of the distinguishing features of data science. It's about using a programming language. I will. I'll jump in here because I was talking to John about this earlier. So I do some data analysis in my own research, but I use largely Excel or SPSS, and I've been intimidated by R because I think it. Mm-hmm. What I what I've seen people do with it is really interesting, but I I don't program and I have no idea how to approach it. So. What, how would you suggest someone in sort of my situation who wants to do more sophisticated analysis but is also kind of scared of the programming part of that? How do you would you suggest they sort of get over that hump? So I, I mean, my sort of biased advice, I have a book called <laughs> Arthur Data Science, which is a, <laughs> sort of my attempt to do this. Um, but like, I, I think like the key thing is to find some like, you know, I don't want to make like programming is, you know, it's going to be frustrating and it's going to be painful and it's going to take you a while before you can do the things, you know, do the things that you can already do now faster or even at the same speed. So I think it's really important to like find some kind of motivating problem that you just mm-hmm. can't tackle now or is like really painful right now and like figure out a, a better way of doing mm-hmm. that. And, and to me, like, I think it's just a really great kind of way to get into programming is through visualization, just because with, you know, with ggplot2, with R, you can, you can start creating some, like, really fantastic visualizations with just after learning sort of a few big ideas. And you can create things that are, you know, it's way, way easier to do that in, in R than it would be in Excel or, mm-hmm. or SPSS. I, I think she might know a statistician or two that'd be willing to talk to her as she goes through this. 
<laughs> she can she can phone a friend here, Hadley. Uh, there we go. <laughs> there, there are also, um, I, so I recently I went to uh, NICA, the big investigative oh, yeah. data journalism conference, and they have like a bunch of. So I, I did a one day workshop on R there, and there are like a bunch of other workshops. Like there's, I, I, it's just sort of so neat to me to see like journalists teaching other journalists how to like get started with R and statistics and asking all these questions. It's yeah, it, it's really really neat. Since we're talking about journalism, I might we ask this of a lot of the people that we have on stats and stories. So when it comes to data visualizations or uses of R or data journalism, have you seen examples that you have found frustrating or 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 moments where you you see a piece of data journalism and you're like, oh, this could be so much better if they had done this? Is, is there something that that you find frustrating in data journalism when you read it or see it? No, by and large. No, I think. Oh, that's good. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I'm just like, I don't know, even if it's done, you know, suboptimally or I could do it, you know, better, I, I just don't, I don't think that's a, like a bad thing. It's better to be like trying and, you know, maybe you'll fail along the way, but it's better to, to, to do that than to, to not try at all. So in your course, that the workshop you did for the journalist, what, what was kind of the, the, the syllabus? What did that look like for the journalist course? So, so sort of excerpts from the from the R for data science course. So we started off with visualization, talked a, a little bit about data manipulation, and then some sort of tools for like functional programming, which I think basically is, is the way to think about it is how to kind of automate more of your work in R. So like if you've solved like managed to solve like one little problem, how can you then like take that solution and kind of generalize it to solve a whole class of problems or the whole, to solve like a whole many instances of the same basic problem. I was reading uh, an AMA that you did a couple of years ago uh, and where someone asked you about big data and journalists um, I know have been covering a lot of big data stories and you called it overhyped. So I was wondering mm-hmm. if you still feel that way because that was a couple of years ago. And if so, why do you think big data is overhyped? So, uh, yeah, I guess, I don't know, it's not, I mean, the thing that's overhyped now is like machine learning and <laughs> um, deep learning and, and AI and the sort of, I, I don't know, I, I think a few years ago it was kind of like, you know, have big data, wave a magic wand and all your problems will be solved. <laughs> and, and, and now that magic wand is like the magic wand of machine learning and AI. Um, so, so, I don't know, I, I, I think... Like, absolutely, there are problems where having a huge amount of data is really important to solve them. Mm-hmm. But I think they just make up a fairly small proportion of all problems. And even when you do have big data, there's often like a whole bunch of like really, really simple stuff you can do, um, like counting. Yeah. Um, you know, the binning and counting, and, and you can reduce it down to something manageable and still insightful very, very quickly. So I, I just in general, like, I don't know, I kind of think there's a sort of, there's a bit of a kind of like a meme war going on. Like, yeah. you know, what is data science? What is big data? What is machine learning? And I, I just, I don't know, I, I, I want data science to be framed as this, like, does you know, the big team that it's inclusive and welcoming and you don't have to have a PhD in machine learning and 30 petabytes of data to be doing data science. If you're, you're, you're doing data science, if you've got, you know, 30 data points in a Google sheet that you're pulling down and analyzing an R. 
you know, you talk about the idea of, of kind of some of the new tools like machine learning and AI, these you know, these more complicated mm-hmm. tools being overhyped. I think that's that. It seems like it's in some sense that that the more inaccessible and black boxish tools can be, that they, they almost take on this this aura of of I don't know magic or, and that leads yeah. to that hype. I mean, do you think that's part of the story here? I think that's part of it. Although the other thing that I've kind of been, I think, interested and pleased to see are these sort of like really trivial applications of deep learning. So two of them that I've seen recently, there's the um, the hot dog detector app. Uh, what? <laughs> seen of this, but it basically tells you if there is a hot dog in front of, in a photo, basically. So this oh, yes, like a, I do notice. It was like a spoof on the um, Silicon Valley TV show, and then someone actually made the real app, and it you know, works reasonably well. Um, and the other thing is someone made, did one of these uh, style transfer things. If you Google for, like, dinosaur botany deep learning, someone's done this kind of, sort of crazy mashup of dinosaur pictures in the style of, like, you know, Victorian botanical drawings. <laughs> And the thing I think sort of neat about these sort of trivial uses is that it shows like that the tool chain is kind of matured enough that you that it's it's not so hard to do these things that you only do them for big important serious projects. You can also do them for little fun projects. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also really important. Like that you you can sort of these these tools are like sufficiently easy to use that you can start to have fun with them. And kind of regardless of whether that you know the what's going on with the hood, I, I just think that that's like, that that's a really positive development to me. So I, I just wanted to let you know real quickly that, uh, that it looks like the engineer is now diving into Google to try to find the hot dog detector app <laughs> as well as the dinosaur deep learning act. <laughs> awesome. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking about statistical programming language R. You just mentioned these two interesting apps. Are there interesting or surprising ways that people have been using R that have sort of caught you off guard or that you've really enjoyed coming across? I I don't know. Like, I I sort of see such kind of neat things all the time. I just, like, love the the diversity of issues. So I, 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 like, I'm sort of seeing those sort of all the time, and I just have this like background positive feeling. <laughs> I, I think the, the thing that now like stands out to me and which is like my new criteria for success of a software product is that is like when your when your tool is used to commit like academic fraud. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, you know, there's this, I don't know how much like responsibility like a, you know, a tool builder has to, to the to what their tools are used to build, but I, I think that's sort of an interesting like like a measure of success, like that they're so successful that people are using them to do like you know unethical things, <laughs> well, uh, which you know gives me a lot of conflicted feelings, but yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, that's an interesting framing. I like. You know. <laughs> so let me ask you about the idea of of all the new code development and some of the efforts to think about reproducibility of research. Mm-hmm. How, how do you see the role of of some of the the tools that are being built and the the call for for accessibility of the of research being done and the ability to replicate it? Yeah, it just seems so 
so incredibly important to me. And even the sort of issue of like, you know, computational replicability, just that if you have the data and the code, you can get the same results. That just seems like such a low bar to like, you know, being able to reproduce an entire experiment from recollecting the data on a different set of people or other observational units. And it just seems so important. And like, how can you how can you trust anything if you, you can't even, given the same code and same data, like recreate the same results? It just seems building on this like, you know, terribly shaky foundation. So that just seems like so important. And, and now like working in any other way is so foreign to me that, that I can't, you know, kind of understand it. But, but to kind of circle back, I think that like reproducibility is one of the, you know, really big selling points of, you know, programming language over, over a point and click interface that, mm-hmm. that being able to like just rerun your script again when the data changes and then being able to like look at what you've done and critique it and understand the provenance of how you get from the, the figure from the, the raw data. I think that that's one of the reasons that, you know, I'm pretty strongly believe that you know scientists who are doing data analysis really should be programming it so one question that we often ask guests when they come on to, to stats and stories are advice that people would might give to students that are interested in pursuing careers so i'll, I'll ask this as a two-part question what kind mm-hmm. of foundation would you would you recommend for someone who wants to do data science directly with kind of the technical from the technical side and sec- the second part of the question is what advice might you give for a journalism student who wants to do data journalism in terms of background and exposure they should have as part of their studies yeah so i'm again gonna give my biased answer which is you should start by reading my alpha data science book because <laughs> that's <laughs> not not just because it's my book along with Garrett Grohman, but because that's kind of my, that is exactly the question I am trying to answer with that book. And, you know, while it's far from perfect, I think it does a pretty good job of at least telling you, like, what are the things you should know? You know, you need to have tools for data import and and tidying and transformation, visualization and modeling and communication. Like, those are the big things you should be thinking about. And, and you know, and I, I obviously I'm a, a passionate believer in, in R and evangelist of R, but, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you're, what you're doing it in, whether it's Python or JavaScript or something more exotic. It's that the, the programming and the thinking about those pieces that that's really important. So sort of to complement that, I mean, I think that, that you've, you've given some really good advice in terms of, of framing and approaching these problems. But I've, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think about a, a student that's going to sit in with a, you know, a, an advisor in journalism, mm. and I mm-hmm. want to do this kind of work. What kind of courses should I take? Do you have particular recommendations on that arena, on that front? Yeah, so I would say you, you need to you need to take enough like courses in which you have to program that you become a competent programmer. Mm. It sort of doesn't, I don't think it really matters in in what language, but I think just getting, sort of being forced to program in a class environment is really helpful for getting over that kind of initial initial hump. Um, I I think something, you know, some classes where you have to work with databases, Mm -hmm. like much much of the data today lives in a database, and if you have the basic skills to get the data out of the database like that, you will be really, really valued. And, and similarly, I think, you know, something around like, again, on the, the data access, like something about like web APIs and web, web scraping and, and how do you turn like things that look 
you know, weird and wonderful into a nice, tidy, hmm. rectangular data set. I think those are really valuable skills. Hadley, in the setup to this episode, we talked about the fact that it's the 25th anniversary year of R. So uh, this is a program that's uh, increasingly embraced uh, in the academic world as well as outside of it. What do you see as the future for R? I think just like more of the same. <laughs> I think I think it's just going to keep growing. The, the communities of people who use it are going to expand. More and more people are going to use it. One thing that kind of blows me away at our studio is that we're starting to talk to companies that have, you know, like 100 or 200 or 1,000 people who are using R at their company, or they're thinking about, like, you know, we've got 400 people using SAS or some other, you know, older system, and they're like, how can we retrain all of those people to use R? That, that's, I don't know, that, that, that this sort of continued growth is... I don't know. It, it seems like uh, like uh, the growth of R is just still accelerating, and I'm really, really excited. So I was reading a, an interview where you said it's crazy that you've become famous for R. How how is it that you have found yourself in this position? How did R become your life's work? And do you still find it crazy that that this is what you're famous for? Yeah, I, yeah. I still utterly kind of blown away with the craziness of like. You know, people want to take selfies with me and <laughs> they want me to autograph things, you know, being set out to do like a PhD in statistics. That is not where I imagined my career going um, by any means. But 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 equally, like I've always like I've kind of, you know, always loved making tools for other people to use. And I've been really fortunate to be able to kind of turn, you know, turn that into a career and be, you know, so supported by my current employer, our studio, like to, to do that. And, you know, the fact that I is now not just me doing this kind of in my evenings and weekends, but I'm doing this full time. And moreover, I've got a team of like seven people working on, you know, purely open source R development. It's just, you know, blows me away. Uh, I just, you know, I find it so incredibly rewarding and enjoyable and you know, I hope I can keep on doing this for the rest of my life. Well, Hadley, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks, Hadley. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. That's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter or iTunes if you'd like to share your thoughts on the program. Send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. Mm-hmm.